Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Former Army Ranger Dr. Tony Brooks speaks on the fall of Afghanistan and the failure of American foreign policy. From Washington, D.C., educator Charles Chafin warns about the overload of false information and the resulting dumbing down of America and its consequences. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hode. Good Sunday evening, ladies and gentlemen, Angels Radio family, all over Southern California from Los Angeles to Orange County, Inland Empire, San Diego. We've got them all. I'm Bruce Cook. Let me start with a shout out tonight to one of my greatest Angels fans on the radio here at KLAA. Let me say hello. Clara Kaplan in Fullerton. Tonight, Clara is having a family party celebrating what would be the 100th birthday of her late husband, Donald. Donald was a highly respected college professor in Orange County, and Clara is celebrating his life today. So, Clara, thank you for listening. You've always been listening and always a great fan of the radio. Starting with that, I change, uh, change from a, a really positive and happy beginning to something a little bit more serious. Most of you radio listeners who pay attention to the news know that the president of Afghanistan departed the country today. Parts unknown, circumstances unknown, U.S. involvement unknown, but the president is gone. The Taliban are surrounding the city. They're negotiating a transfer of power. America has 6,000-some troops that have been sent in by President Biden to evacuate, even though you're not supposed to use that word. The remainder of the U.S. population at the embassy, as well as civilian contractors and others that have been involved in this war for some for many years. For America, 20 years. I don't know about you listeners, but the whole thing makes me so sad. 20 years of American involvement, 20 years, 2,500-plus American men and women lost in the battle over 20 years, billions of dollars of taxpayer dollars spent, hundreds of thousands of Afghani civilians killed. Radio people, did we go to Afghanistan to protect America from terrorism? Did we go to Afghanistan to build a nation state of democracy? We're leaving, and it is rather shameful. To talk about this and a lot of other things, I've invited a very special guest on the radio tonight. He's coming to us from Washington State. His name is Dr. Tony Brooks. He is a former Army Ranger. I'll start by plugging his book. It's called Leave No Man Behind. Dr. Brooks, or Tony, along with Bob Welch, wrote this book. It is the untold story of the Rangers' unrelenting search for Marcus Luttrell, the Navy SEAL lone survivor in Afghanistan. Many of you 
people probably saw the movie Lone Survivor, but Mr. or Dr. Brooks' book takes it a lot further. So let's talk about what's happening in the U.S. military. Let's talk about his experience. Let's talk about what he thinks about what's going on in Afghanistan. And welcome, Dr. Brooks. Are you there? I am there. Thank you for having me, Bruce. It's a pleasure to have you on. What do you think about what's happening this week? What do you think about the fact that the president fled the country? You know, the, the past you know three or four days um, have been really tough for me. I mean, the, the attacks on 9-11 changed my life. And going to Afghanistan was in my cards. I knew that straight out of the gate. So uh, there's a big place in my heart for Afghanistan. You know, I wanted the people there to experience what we do in the U.S. And I think they had that for 20 years. And in the last week, I've watched it deteriorate back to right before we invaded the country, almost in a blink of an eye. And I've talked to a lot of veterans over the past few days. And frankly, most of us are sad, angry, and devastated by what we're seeing on TV. Tony, did, um, Tony, it, did, it, did we fail? Is that unfair? Did we know, fail? I would say politically we absolutely failed. And tell, tell and me why. I'm going with this. Tell me why. Uh, th there was no plan to sustain the change that was created in that country. It was politically expedient to get out, and so they did it. Um, also, you know, the warriors on the ground, you know, a lot of us are feeling like a failure right now. And the way I look at it is very different. We did the best that we possibly could with what we were given. We were most of the time handcuffed with political rules, and we were never given permission to win that war to begin with. So I think politically it's a lost cause. And, and we're leaving behind a population of people, especially women, to be enslaved again by the Taliban. And it's absolutely devastating. I think that is widely discussed these days and also widely agreed upon. You said something fascinating just a second ago. We were not given permission to win this war. Expound on that. You know, I, I, in my book, I explain what the global war on terror was like as a special operator. And to me, it was more like a game of whack-a-mole. You know, the game whack-a-mole where the, the rodent pops up and you hit it with the, the little hammer. Right. And then another rodent pops up and you hit it with the hammer. That's exactly how the global war on terror was fought. We weren't allowed to do anything unless the mole popped up. And as we are seeing right now, all they did is hide. They just hide for 20 years. And here we go. <laughs> we're right back where we started. Is that because constraints were placed on the military to avoid civilian casualties? It seems to me with American air power, American air power, as long, along with manpower such as yourself, we could have wiped out the Taliban without a lot of difficulty. But it obviously didn't happen. It's almost biblical. It's almost the David versus Goliath story. 
did we not use our military air power properly? No, I don't think we did. I think initially we did. Um, but as the years wore on, it was more, we were more focused on winning the hearts and minds of the population. And I feel like we did it the wrong way. You know, how you win the hearts and minds of them is you protect them. It, you know, they don't, they don't care if you're nice to them. As long as you're pulling security, they're going to like you. Well, you so know, I, you, you bring up something else with that, the hearts and minds. To a lot of people watching this, including politicians, and I think including President Biden and President Trump before him, I think maybe we lost this whole operation because we never really had an idea of what the hearts and minds of the Afghani people were. Obviously, very torn between the very strict ancient Islamic culture, religion, and philosophy versus the new world. And what do you say when you hear that the Afghani soldiers are laying down arms, giving up, and walking away? You know, I, I don't know the answer to your question, but I will say that, you know, I don't think we ever knew what the Afghanis wanted because we never asked. We, we assumed that they wanted what we had all the you know, nice roads and water systems and electricity. But in reality, and I cannot speak for the Afghani people, I think what they really wanted was to be left alone. They wanted to be left alone by the Taliban, by us. By, by everyone else. Just leave us alone. Yeah. Let us be. Let us live. So interesting to, to hear you say that. So interesting to talk about that. I And... Also, so interesting to hear you say that we thought that the Afghani people wanted our lifestyle. They wanted our roads, our power system, our Internet, our social media. Maybe they don't. But let's talk about the women. You brought that up. This is a really important part of it. Most people that are familiar with the situation know that strict Islamic law places women in a very specific category. And our, our involvement over the last 20 years there has opened doors for women that did not exist. How do you go back? How do they go back? What are these women going to do? How do they go back um, to becoming subservient and not being educated and being obedient? I, I, I'm, I've been dumbfounded by that exact question for the past two or three days. Um, a good friend of mine, the CEO of Combat Flip-Flops, Matt Griffin wrote a piece yesterday uh, in the voice of the Taliban, basically what happened in this war. And it's being blocked all over social media and everywhere else. But I think he hit the nail on the head when he said the Taliban was patient. They sat back and watched us and let us do our thing. As soon as we were done, they moved in. And the women of Afghanistan, you know, some of them, have had 20 years of freedom. So there is a 20-year-old out there somewhere who's never experienced the tyrannical Taliban rule where you're not allowed to go outside without a chaperone. You cannot show skin. You're not even allowed to speak publicly. You do not go to school. You do not work. That lifestyle is going to be like throwing someone in jail for nothing. So I, I hope the women... Can escape it. I, I just, 
I don't know how that is at this point. You know, it's it's tough to watch. Well, there's not it's much. Really a, there's not much of an escape route with Pakistan on one border, and I believe it is it Iran on the other side. Yeah, there. I mean, there's Where? Iran, there's China, there's uh, Uzbekistan, um, Turkmenistan. There's quite a few avenues to to exit. However, I don't think the borders are. Yeah, a safe they're place not. To be they're not exactly point. wide open. Come on in. Um, yeah. Talk a bit about your motivation, and then let's get into your book a bit. You say your life changed at 9-11, which I know you write about in the beginning of your book. Share that with our radio audience. What, where were you? What happened to make you decide to get involved with the Army Rangers? Yeah, it was a, a day that we most of us could probably remember exactly where we were and what we were doing. And it was 9-11-2001. I was in Tucson, Arizona, at the University of Arizona. And I was getting ready to go to the gym that morning. And I decided to turn on the TV. Uh, once I turned on the TV, I, I remember the buildings and the fire. But the one thing that really stood out to me was what we called the falling man. And it was uh, someone jumping from the tower as it burned. And I'll never forget at that moment, I was basically filled with rage that someone you know, had to make the decision of, am I going to burn or am I going to jump? I just could never possibly imagine having to make that choice. And at that moment, I knew I had to do something different than college. I was a healthy young man. I was fairly athletic. And really, I didn't love college. I didn't, I didn't have anything that I loved there. I wasn't uh, motivated. I was hardly even, you know, engaged in, in the college experience other than the the after or the after hours stuff so it gave me my purpose it really did and i knew i had to go serve you know there were a couple other events like uh, just after 9-11 was black hawk down the movie came out that was pretty motivating and then of course pat tillman and pat tillman being from arizona was in my face constantly and I knew I had to, you know, follow in his footsteps. That's kind of what got me going. So what did you do? What was your what was your course of action, and where did you end up? Give us a short bio of the steps you took, and how did you end up in Afghanistan? Yeah, so I, I basically decided to become uh, an enlisted Army Ranger. And in order to do that, you sign a specific contract that allows you to, to go to these special schools and get a shot, you know, a chance at becoming a ranger. So I did that, and I went through and ended up at 2nd Ranger Battalion at Fort Lewis, Washington. Trained for a few months, about six months, and then I was sent to Afghanistan on my first combat deployment. And um, lo and behold, my very first mission ever happened to be Operation Red Wings, which was the rescue and recovery of uh, Turbine 33, as well as Marcus Luttrell. And that was, I believe, in your book, that it's June of 2005, is that correct? Correct. It was June 28, 2005, was when we were activated to go recover a downed Chinook helicopter carrying 16 men 
Turbine 33. And this was on, forgive my pronunciation, uh, was it Mount Satalo Sar? Is that correct? That is correct. Satalo Sar. It's Mount about a 9,000 foot peak. The book goes into detail about the experience. I hardly can ask you to encapsulate it in a minute or two, but give us some of the color. Yeah, I think I think the 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 short and sweet of it is that it is more about the human experience on the battlefield. Yes, I discuss what happened in the mission and the horrific things that we had to do and see. Uh, when you're recovering a helicopter that had just crashed into a mountain. But I think really what the purpose and the, the vision for my book is more about the mind of a enlisted soldier, specifically an army ranger. And what really goes through our head? You know, I was the closest thing to a civilian that you can have on the battlefield as an army ranger, my very first mission. So I wanted to I wanted to make sure that people understood what that really felt like. I think you accomplished it, by the way, from from everything I read. And, and I want to bring up something, an interesting uh, section of the book. You talk about one of your commanders named English, and you refer to what is known as the unit. I had never heard about this before. Share with our listening audience what the unit is, and talk about this guy English and and the human story that you're talking about and how he inspired all of you to to become heroes. Yeah, Lieutenant English was uh, one of the giants, I like to call them. He was kind of the guy that you always, you know, in, in your career field, you look up to and say, that's the guy that I want to be. I want to be like that guy. And what he served in the unit, um, and I named it that way on purpose. It's actually Delta Force. Um, I wasn't allowed to say that in the book, but I can say it here. So he was uh, a Delta Force operator um, as an enlisted man who then converted to become an officer and became a Ranger officer and a Green Beret. So uh, as far as a career path goes, there's probably not a single person out there that has a career path like his. Where is he today? And Where is he today? He, Unfortunately, he has since passed with prostate cancer. Oh, horrible. So, yeah, it's it's awful. And that's why I was really inspired to tell his story, because it, I didn't want it to die w with his physical body. I wanted it to move on. And now everyone can learn about what a hero he is and how he, you know, took some chances to get Marcus Luttrell back alive. He took some big chances. It's, and a, it's a testimonial. A yeah, it's a testimonial to the great human American spirit. Dr. Brooks, we got to take our first break. You got to stay with me. I got so many more questions for you. Radio listeners, I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation tonight live on Angels Radio. We're going to be right back. Oh, oh, I'll be up if you can be right here. I do the same thing. I told you that I never would. I told you I Angels Radio, AM 830. 
At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, Mark Gubiza here with Jose Moda. If you're a big fan of trucks and want to check out the full line of new Chevy Silverados, or if you want to see the all-new 2021 Chevrolet Corvette, then you have to stop by Simpson Chevrolet in Irvine and Garden Grove, or visit online anytime at SimpsonGM.com. Simpson Chevrolet, big enough to deal, small enough to care, and you can't beat that. Chevrolet, find new roads. Susan, it's so great to finally be able to get together again. Oh, it sure is. And I really appreciate you picking up the bill. I'm happy to. I've got the extra cash. Since we've all been driving so much more again, I've been using GetUpside, the free gas app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get paid cash when you buy gas with the GetUpside app? Yes, up to 25 cents a gallon. Cash back every time I buy gas. Does that actually add up to anything? Some months I make 200 to 300 bucks. <laughs> Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the free GetUpside app now. Download the free GetUpside app now in the App Store or Google Play to save up to 25 cents a gallon when you buy gas. Use promo code RAIN for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's up to 50 cents a gallon on your next fill-up. You can cash out anytime to PayPal or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code RAIN for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code RAIN. Hey, I just heard it was possible to get a customized auto quote from Liberty Mutual Insurance. 100% customized for what you need and not for what you don't. Have you ever asked, why should I pay for what I don't need? Like when I buy fancy mixed nuts, I don't want that big nut that takes up all the space. With Liberty Mutual, you can save money when you buy customized auto insurance. Pay only for what you need. This message was brought to you by Liberty Mutual Insurance. Visit LibertyMutual.com to learn more. Angels Radio, AM 830. My bad habits lead to late nights and in alone. Conversations with a stranger I barely know. Swearing this will be the last, but it probably won't. I'm back. It's Bruce Cook, and it's the conversation live tonight on Angels Radio. We're special guest tonight, Dr. Tony Brooks. We're talking about his book, Leave no man behind. We're talking about Afghanistan and what's going on in our our nation and in the world. And in the in the tone of the book, Leave No Man Behind, the title, I should say, not the tone. I want to switch back, Tony, for a second before we go back to your book and ask you another political slash uh, diplomatic question. In the spirit of leaving no person behind, what do you think is our responsibility as a nation 
in helping civilians that are left behind at the mercy of the Taliban coming in. Will we be able to save people that are in threat of being murdered, killed, whatever? We, it's being talked about a lot. How are we going to do it? Can we do it? Will we do it? You know, I think anyone that, that uh, assisted in the defense of Afghanistan over the past 20 years, them and their families should be fast-tracked directly into the United States if that's what they want. Now, obviously, if they don't want that, <laughs> then that's their choice. But I think they should have that opportunity. Uh, but will we be able to do it? Will we live up to that? Will we be quick enough? Will we be smart enough? Will it happen? I, you know, after what I've watched the past few days, I think, no, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm afraid, think, I'm afraid of that, too. I, I think we're going to really be in a, in a difficult and, and most uh, unfortunate place if these, people, yeah, I think, if these people are slaughtered. Yeah, I think what it's going to take at this point is, um, you know, and I don't want to put this all on the president, but he is the commander-in-chief. I think it's going to come down to the president making some tough calls. And, you know, in my opinion, right now, the Taliban is the most exposed they've ever been. And if the president wanted to, he could make a, a pretty big mark. Uh, but I don't I don't say that um, to put more troops back in the country. I don't think that's the answer. I think, you know, we should use our firepower and our technology. And sadly, I don't think this has happened, but uh, we should have had the discussion with a peacekeeping force before we decided to leave. And I, I'm saddened that we couldn't have some type of transition to someone who could monitor the country, you know, as a... Like, how about forward. the United Nations, for goodness sake? Yeah, and that's who I was referring to, but, you know... They, it didn't happen. What can I say? It didn't. it didn't happen. One more question on politics and policy. One of the main reasons, and I started the show with this, that we went there in the first place was to protect America and the rest of the free world from terrorism. A lot of the conversation now is Afghanistan has the potential of becoming a worldwide safe haven for the return of al-Qaeda and others. How do you feel about that, having been there, having seen it, having lived it? Is it an uh, unnecessary worry or is it realistic? I would take out one word from that statement, and it's the word potential. I think it's a guarantee. Well, that says it. We, we even left behind uh, the amount of military equipment that we left behind. If that was ISIS, the country would be in uproar. But because Afghanistan was kind of, you know, I like to call it a shadow war because, you know, in recent history, it's the first war where it was 100% volunteer. So there was no need to, to have an uproar back here in the U.S. And, you know, the only thing you saw on the news was our failures. And I mentioned that in my book also. Because the only thing we ever see on the news is when failures happen. Speaking because of that, volunteers, there's speaking of that, media involvement, what do you think is the temperature of the American people regarding the situation? And specifically regarding military today where does it stand in the minds of most americans is it still considered 
a standard bearer of the country or is it considered uh, a part of society that is obsolete, uh, going into obsolescence? Um, you know, as I watch this all play out and I listen to both civilians and other, I've, I've had, because I wrote this book, I've had so many military members and veterans reach out to me. And most of them are just completely, you know, furious at what we're seeing. But the civilians, I found that they think it's just time to get our guys out. And I, for some reason, the people of Afghanistan don't seem to be ringing enough bells with, I would say, a good majority of civilians. And I think that's what's making most of us veterans pretty upset, is that no one else seems to care. Are there correlations to Vietnam in the 60s, in the 70s? Or is it totally different? It, totally different? I've, you know, obviously there's lots of differences, and but the similarities are pretty pretty scary. I mean, I've been calling it Vietnam 2.0, so uh, it feels that way to me. In the time that we have left, a main, the main theme in your book is the ideal of leaving no man behind. Why is that still a creed that is so vital to service? You know, it's a, it's a really cool concept if you think about it, you know, from the 30,000-foot view. If you know, without a shadow of a doubt, your buddies are coming for you, it almost gives you a little bit of a superpower. You'll go anywhere if you know that you have someone following you. You won't go alone, but when you have that group mentality of no matter what, we're all getting out of this, dead or alive, we're coming to get you. It does something to your psyche and something to your brain that allows you to do things that you probably wouldn't do without that mentality. So I think it's extremely powerful, and I wish more people would use that uh, mentality and other things in life. We would accomplish so much more. On that mountain in Sotalosar, there is no way that I would have done what we did without the guys around me. I guarantee you I would have quit. It was so grueling and so painful, but when you look to your left and your right, everyone was still moving. So that's, you know, it, it's one of those things that, I wish more people would bring into their own lives. You obviously went through hell. You served both in Afghanistan and then I believe in Iraq later. Is that correct? Correct. You came back. You built a life. You went to. You finished your education. You became a doctor of chiropractic. Chiropractic. You have a life. In our last minute or two, what's your message to the American people and to so many veterans and military people that are suffering PTSD and having all kinds of problems related to their service? Somehow, with everything you saw, you've escaped this. How? You know, I think part of it comes with uh, recognizing that it is traumatic. Um, a lot of times, uh, service members... You know, being the ones that go and help people, the ones that, that go in when things get bad, it's really hard to ask for help. 
because that's usually you. And I recognized pretty early that for me, it was not sustainable to have that mindset that I couldn't ask for help. So I did. I asked for help. I recognized the trauma. And you know what? Writing this book was extremely cathartic and, and therapeutic. So I'm not saying people need to go and write books, but I am saying that writing some of this stuff down, talking about it is, is healing. That's the only way you're going to move on. Holding it in is not the answer. So that's what I would, that's my message to anyone who's struggling out there is you need to talk about it, write it down, share it. Do not keep it in. Tony, you have great praise for your uh, book, including General Stanley McChrystal. You've got uh, General David Petraeus. Ladies and gentlemen, Leave No Man Behind, the untold story of the Rangers' unrelenting search for Marcus Luttrell, the Navy SEAL lone survivor in Afghanistan, by Dr. Tony Brooks. I assume we can get that in our bookstores, on Amazon, and other sites. Yes, Tony? You got it. Anywhere books are sold, you can get it. Uh, it's been an honor to have you on tonight. Thank you so much for your insight, your candor. All the best. Thank you so much for having me, and everyone have a wonderful night. And we say good night, and we say we're going to take a break. This is Bruce Cook again, the conversation live on Angels Radio. When we come back, the show goes on. I've got a, another wonderful guest, uh, interesting man with great ideas to share with you. So don't change that dial. Angels Radio, AM 830. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News & World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. 
If you're looking for a new car or SUV right now, my guess is you're frustrated. Frustrated that the right car is not available, or if you find it, you're being charged way over a window sticker. Stop the frustration and visit Tustin Mazda or Huntington Beach Mazda, where we've got a great inventory of award-winning cars and SUVs with no markups. And there's no better time, especially during Mazda's season of discovery sales event. So let me repeat, we've got cars, we've got cars, we've got cars. Visit OCMazda.com for details. With Amdro, you can enjoy your backyard like never before. Our round-the-clock pest protection gives you the peace of mind to enjoy your great outdoors without a care in the world. Cannibal! Okay, we can't defend you against the splash zone. But when it comes to ants and other pests, we've got you covered 24-7. Find Amdro in the insecticide aisle at your nearest retailer. Angels Radio AMA 30 KLAA Orange County Los Angeles and Inland Empire where Angels baseball lives Angels Radio AMA 30 We are back, Angels family, radio fans out there, Southern California. I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation with great music behind us tonight as we switch subjects. And we go to Washington, D.C. tonight, where it's almost 10 o'clock, and we meet Dr. Charles Chafin. Dr. Chafin is an educator who has spent his entire life, he's a Ph.D., actually. He's, he's taught everything from kindergarten to the hardest of university classes, and he is a nationally recognized expert in the fields of media and information, and we are going to learn a lot in the next few minutes. And I want to start with the idea that a lot of us watched the Olympics in the last few weeks, and our, our star players, our star American athletes, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, both suffering from fatigue and mental challenges, walking away from the gold standard career, the best of the best, the top of the top. And a lot of Americans weren't very nice about it. A lot of people said, that's their job. They don't have a right to have a mental crisis. They don't have a right to be afraid. That's what they do. Why are they doing this? Anyway, it's a subject that we really need to delve into. And Dr. Chafin comes to us tonight with the idea that because of information overload, we've lost our empathy as a society. We need to get back on track. So with that, let me welcome Dr. Chafin. Are you there? I am. Good evening. Good evening to you. How's everything in the land of the president? <laughs> Well, we have a we have a little compassion fatigue here as always in Washington D.C. But uh, uh, a little? What do you I mean think... a little? <laughs> <laughs> how about how about crisis level compassion fatigue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you're probably right. I don't know that it's uh, confined just to Washington D.C. Uh, uh, it, it may be a little more widespread than that, but. Uh, but but I would have to agree, <laughs> Charles. What is happening to America? We are so 
We are so on edge. We're so chaotic. This isn't the country that I remember from even a few years ago. Yeah, you know, at a 30,000-foot level, we are, we are, we are bombarded, bombarded with information. And, well, know, wait a minute. I got to stop you. I got to stop you. You got to change that expression. We're going to do it right here on the radio because of our rockets from uh, Mr. Bezos and uh, and Virgin Atlantic. We're at the sixty thousand foot level. <laughs> so I expect you to use that going forward. Anyway, I had to say that. Yeah, I, inter- think, I had to interrupt you, but I, go ahead. That's quite right. I think one of them was at sixty thousand and ten feet to be uh, higher than the other one. That's so, right. You better get that right. <laughs> yeah. But we are, you know, we're bombarded with information. And more information doesn't necessarily mean better information. And I think what we see when it comes to our reaction to everything from, you know, what you're talking about with the Olympics or obviously the political elements and whatnot is that we are, we are confined to platforms such as social media where it it is designed to keep us engaged to keep our attention for as long as possible and that happens through what's called operant conditioning which basically means you get little rewards and you get little likes and whatnot and comments that keep you on those platforms and in order for us to gain more attention on those platforms we have to become a little bit more outraged, right? We have to be a little more outraged than the person next to us, or we provide new information to our audience, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever it might be, and now we're a source of information. The problem with that, of course, is that that's where conspiracy theories and faulty information comes about. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of living in this ecosystem of apps and platforms that are really designed not only to capture our attention, but in a lot of cases designed to really capture our, our outrage or fuel our outrage and, and create responses that aren't necessarily rational. And guess what? That, that's exactly what's happened over the last 10 years, and it's getting worse. And part of it is because there's no regulation. Our media prior to the Clinton era was heavily regulated, and that was loosened in those Clinton years. I'm not saying be to his uh, default or, or or credit, but it just is, is a fact. There's no regulation of social media. They they do what they want. These are private companies. Yeah, and, and you're alluding to Section 230, right, where the social media Correct. platform basically, you know, they have kind of the best of they kind of have the best of both worlds. They're doing some element of curation. So, you know, they're taking down, you know, elements of violence or, you know, pornographic materials or whatnot. But at the same time, they're also saying, you know, we're not really responsible outside of that. We're not really responsible for what users post on those platforms. And, you know, going now, you know, getting into issues here in Washington, D.C., it's likely it's going to change, you know, because both sides politically aren't really happy with Section 230. Yeah, it, that's correct. Both sides are furious with good reason. Maybe good that reason, maybe yeah. that's what will bring people together. I don't know. I really don't <laughs> well, know. It, it could. I mean, you know, it could. And, you know, because the, the right is really saying, well, you know, it's really it's really squelching free, free speech. Uh, and the left is saying, you know, there's all this misinformation and whatnot and, you know, pointing to... And hate. And there's COVID a lot of hate speech. 
and there's a lot of hate speech and whatnot on there. So, you know, at some point, you know, there's, it's likely, and, you know, I talk about it in, um, uh, that Section 230 is going to change. It's an outdated, it's an outdated law. It was written as part of the Communications Act, as you alluded to, in 96, which was long before social media came about. And, uh, so it's, it's likely going to change. And, and hopefully, you know, and, and talking to a lot of people who, who really look at, at, at what's, what's happening in Silicon Valley and whatnot, you know, it's very likely that machine learning is going to help us in the sense that, you know, because there's no way we can have human beings check all of the content that's being posted on Facebook and Instagram in real time. You know, if you wanted to post something about the, about the Angels game earlier today, if you had humans do it, it would take weeks before it got posted, and then it's, you know, it's immediately outdated. So it's, it's likely that AI is going to help us in terms of some element of moderation of misinformation or hate speech and whatnot. And then, you know, what's likely is that people will probably have issues with the algorithms, right, <laughs> and how they're programmed. But at least it will get us a little bit closer, hopefully, to to where we want to be. I'm scared of algorithms. I think they manipulate us, uh, and they change so rapidly. Most people are now aware that algorithms are really controlling the price index of all kinds of goods and services, uh, including things as simple as uh, you make a hotel reservation one day, and if the algorithm says that too many people want that reservation, the price doubles. Yeah, I, I mean, there's... there's there's good and bad with algorithms, you know, and, and some elements are, are good at algorithms when it comes to law enforcement uses algorithms. We use algorithms when it comes to even sorting individuals for employment and whatnot. And then there's, there's, there's the negative side, there's negative relative to pricing, what you're talking about. And then let's, let's talk about something basic, and that's something like YouTube, where basically folks are going back to this idea of misinformation where you can go down some pretty scary rabbit holes, right? And now these algorithms, whether it's YouTube or other social media, are feeding you what you agree with. So this idea of polarization is happening because all I'm seeing because of these algorithms are things that I agree with based upon my past choices. And so you could find yourself through social media, the algorithms that are part of that, or through cable news, and I write about that as well, where you never hear a dissenting opinion. And all that does, whether it's right or left, it doesn't matter, you folks dig their heels in, right? If people are telling you that you're right all day, every day, you probably think you're pretty right. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. I've got some really smart friends that I know have great intelligence and and also they're very learned, they're very experienced. And I say this on both sides of the fence, right and left. And the people I'm thinking of, which remain nameless and because it doesn't matter, are intransient on their views. And these are really smart people. And the guys on the, on the left only watch uh, CNN and the guys on the right only watch Fox and they don't care. And it's the same thing with a newspaper. One one will read the New York Times, the other says it's a pile of garbage, and the other one is reading the Wall Street Journal, which is not a pile of garbage, by the way. I happen to like the Wall Street Journal, but it's a conservative paper. But they will not 
even look at the other stuff because they believe it is conspiratorial to a degree and it's rigged and it's manipulated and it's uh, it this is impossible. It is. So it is. I'm re- I'm I'm relying on you to solve this. What do we do? <laughs> Where do we go? Well, how do we fix a, it? It's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a it's a obviously it's a difficult and a serious problem for us. And you know, and one of the things I, that I write about in the book is that you know, it some people say, well, I want to have a cocktail of choices, right? So I want to have a I want to have a cocktail of, of news sources. I'm going to listen to a little bit on the left and a little bit on the right. And in some regards, that does help. But what's better is to think about elements of transparency and reporting, right? So when you have, especially people that are 29 years old and younger, are getting an overwhelming majority of their news from social media, it's not transparent, right? It's coming from all kinds of different sources that are less than reputable. Now now you're getting into elements of confirmation bias as well. So I think when it comes to if individuals are really looking to have their beliefs challenged and really want to have an understanding of a topic, then it really is about finding sources that are transparent in their in their reporting. And we, for the most part, have a good sense of what those outlets are, right, whether it's newspapers or, or radio or television. So that's a big part of it. Let me I stop you there. Social- Let me stop you there because we're – running short here and we got a lot more to talk about i want to plug your book we have to go to a commercial break but radio listeners tonight on angels radio dr chapin's book is called numb it's a perfect title how the information age dulls our senses and how we can get them back that's the book we're taking a break uh charles we're going to come right back we only have about five minutes left and lots more to talk about stay with me everybody Angels Radio, AMA 30. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash According to the National Institutes of Health, 30% of hospital admissions in older adults are drug-related, like taking meds at the wrong time. Hero Health simplifies medication management. The smart device stores up to 90 days' worth of up to 10 different pills. It dispenses them at the push of a button. Try Hero risk-free for 30 days and get free contactless delivery. Just call 800-420-7550. That's 800-420-7550. 800-420-7550. Hero. Medication managed. If you've been having trouble finding the right vehicle, stop searching and start driving. The Irvine Auto Center has the new or pre-owned vehicle you've been looking for. Shop from top domestic, import, luxury, and exotic brands, all with great Labor Day savings, all at the Irvine Auto Center, where they have exactly what you need. Turn your search into drive where the 5 meets the 405 at Lake Forest Drive. Turn your search into drive. 
Welcome, folks, to the Backyard Masterpiece Podcast. We have Tom here, a first-time DIYer, talking about the multi-tiered rose garden he planted in his yard. How did you begin this masterpiece? Well, the first thing I did was make the call. The call? Yes, to 811. I knew my project required digging, so I had SoCal Gas come and mark my natural gas lines. Pro tip, take notes, people. Always contact 811 by phone or online two business days before you dig. Yep. Visit SoCalGas.com slash 811 to learn more. Okay, ladies, we all know one of the greatest feelings in the world when you get together with a friend and she says, Girl, those pants look amazing on you. But even though I'm happy dancing inside, I just play it cool and say, Thanks, they're Skechers Go Walk Wear Pants. And why do I always get compliments on these casual, athletic, stretchy pants? Because whether I'm hanging with friends or working out, nothing beats the fit, comfort, and versatility of Skechers Go Walk Wear. They're made with comfortable GoFlex fabric that has compression and hold, including a double compression waistband. What's that mean? It gives me curves in all the right places and minimizes the spots where I want a little help. And the versatility is incredible. Go Walk Wear pants have four pockets, two back and two side. Plus, they're machine washable and come in extended sizes, so everyone can look great in these pants. Easy care, easy wear, and made to fit every body. That's the Skechers Go Walk Wear line of pants. Find yours at Skechers.com, a Skechers store, and find retailers everywhere. Angels Radio. AM 30. I think I'm going to give up talk show and become a disc jockey. I love all the music. Anyway, it's Bruce Cook. It's the conversation, and we're back. Tonight, I've got special guest Dr. Charles Chafin on the line from Washington, D.C. It's getting late, Charles. But I want to go back to how I started my interview with you, asking about the lack of empathy in our nation, specifically to our our Olympians, uh, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. How do you respond to the fact that so many fans of the Olympics were really disappointed and not understanding of the situation? You know, I think in a lot of cases, you know, we we engage with media, whether it's social media or the news or sports or whatever it is, as if it's not really real, right? That it's not really, um, these aren't really human beings. And a lot of that just comes from I see it from my research on attention. I just see it as our our attentional resources are all being bombarded constantly by sensationalism, by all kinds of different information, whether it's audio, whether it's video, or whatever it might be. And when it comes to this element of compassion fatigue, we only have actually so much compassion within us. And compassion is an active, not a passive element. So when we see things on TV that are suffering of individuals and whatnot, a lot of us reach a point where we become numb to it. It's not, it's not real, and it's just we basically go into this idea we're not really thinking about the, other, the plight of the other person. We're thinking about how it affects us or going back to this element of outrage, particularly on social media, where we start getting angry about it because it doesn't fit whatever we want. You know, Simone Bryles isn't getting a gold medal for, for the United States and whatnot. And so being constantly having all of this sensationalism and bad news and whatnot makes us jaded to a point. And, and the way we address that is we have to manage our consumption 
And that's a tough thing to say on a radio interview. <laughs> but we really we can't be spending three and four and five hours like so many people are on social media and seeing all of these things that that, um, that is bad news or sensational, sensationalism or whatnot because it activates this part of our brain called the amygdala. And if it's constantly being activated as a threat or whatnot, then we become jaded. And, we, and, we, and, then, and, and in essence, we're not present for the things that we need to be. So managing consumption, as basic as that sounds, Bruce, really is the number one thing that we need to do to help yeah, us be more compassionate. But as an educator, how do you do that for young people, especially teenagers? Um, and it's worse than that because it's really people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. But it's it has, in the last 20 years, begun with the teenage crowd, and it's worse than ever now. Worse is probably the wrong word. It's more prevalent than ever. Um, kids today and young adults today are glued to their social media. It is their life. It is. And, and you know, we go back to this idea of attention. The atten our attention is probably the most valuable resource that we have. It's the gateway to our consciousness. It's the gateway to what we see, what we feel, what we experience. And we can't divide it. We cannot multitask. And so when our attention is focused on apps like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, that comes at the expense of something else. And so for the reason, you know, young adults are, you know, on average we're seeing social media usage in some cases three, four, five hours a day. And Bruce, that's why we're seeing issues of loneliness. We're seeing issues, relationship issues with folks right now because it is at the expense of something. That attention is being drawn to doom scrolling or outrage or what I call attention panhandling where we're spending time to curate our profiles to, to get attention from other people. And it's coming at a tremendous cost for individuals. I don't think we can solve this on the radio tonight, Charles. <laughs> but we made, it, we made a stab at it anyway. And maybe somebody listening, maybe a parent or even a kid that's listening might take notice because clearly people are fatigued. And you're right. They only have so much, so much to give. And that's why your book is called Numb, How the Information Age Dulls Our Senses and How We Can Get Them Back. People, go to your bookstore, go to Amazon or websites, check out Charles Chafin's book. Charles, we're out of time. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Good night, Washington, D.C. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. You the same. Thank you for having me, Bruce. Yeah, it's really been great. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for The Conversation. I'm Bruce Cook. I am off for the next few weeks and coming back after Labor Day with a whole new fall series of shows. We got lots to talk about on The Conversation. In the meantime, all the best. Stay healthy. Happy Labor Day. And I will be back and join you in September. Good night. Good luck. You've been listening to The Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear The Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>